1: Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast. Mark, Sean Hackett, this edition uh, is a special one because Sean's going to talk about the report that came out in the July, was the report that came out and uh, all the good stuff that came from that. So, Sean, looking at the numbers that you had uh, seen so far today, what are your thoughts there and any big surprises?
2: The soybeans were really the big surprise, the big mover for the day. I think corn and wheat primarily are just following the soybean market down today. Um when we had that acreage number come out, 4 million acres below expectation, everyone was dialing in a dramatic reduction in future-ending stocks. They were, you know, many were calling for sub-200 million bushel carryout for soybeans. Um, most were looking for some reduction in yield, and instead, the U.S. State came in with a slight increase in yield, and they substantially lowered exports. Um so when you run those numbers through, even with the 4 million acres reduction, they only moved inning stocks down from 350 million bushels down to about 300 million, which is a big, big miss. Um, big, big miss. So, you know, uh, I'm not surprised it didn't lower the yields, Casey. There's no reason to suggest why yields in soybeans, we think we talked about in your last show, can't be trend or above trends if we have a good August. Um but I think the big the big uh, surprise was that they lowered those uh, you know that export demand side equation considerably. Now one could argue they shouldn't have done that or not. However, you want to slice it and dice it according to what they are saying. Even with four million less acres, everything's going to be fine if we have good August weather. So once again, Casey, now that the report's out of the way and we've gotten this big negative reaction in soybeans, it's all about the weather going forward. Will August deliver? or not, if it does deliver, we won't have a, su- a supply problem for soybeans for the foreseeable future.
1: So let's talk, uh, let's talk about the weather here just a minute, because you've sent out a couple of um, alerts talking about that. Your models are showing that basically over the next, you know, last half of July going into August, that you see, see some extreme heat and uh, drier conditions move across from what we've seen over this last couple of, of uh, two or three weeks here with this uh, wet cycle that we've seen come through the eastern central grain uh, Grain belt. So I guess talk about that a little bit and what you're seeing there.
2: We still think weather looks very, very good, Casey, for the next couple of weeks into like that third or fourth week of July. Mm-hmm. So still see the temperatures kind of being more mild, good moisture, very, very good conditions. Corn pollination is going to get done fairly well. Or well, we see the pattern changes at the, at the very end of the month, like the last week of the month. We see a pattern change. Remember, May, June was... Cold, epic dryness. Since late June into let's say mid late July, it's been wetter, normal heat, maybe slightly below, but not as cold. And what we think we're now going to do is move to a above normal or warmer than normal temperature regime in August, and a drier pattern, not as dry as May and June, which was epic, but. A much drier pattern than we've had over the last two to three weeks. So, when I look at that pattern, it means that soybeans are going to worry if we have a warm, dry pattern, what that might mean for pod setting, filling pods, and they might question whether that 52, 52 and a half yield that the USDA is dialing in is actually going to happen. Um, and remember, even though corn pollination, that even though that 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 pattern change would be too late to hurt corn pollination to a great degree. Corn, you know, kernel fill is going to be very very important this year, uh, given what I think is going to be a lower ear count because of the dry start to the crop. So even though the critical phase of pollination is going to be okay, I still think if we have a hot dry August and we have kind of a poor kernel filling. Um, phase for corn, we can still take some bushels off. The USDA did lower their yield a little bit, Casey. You know, Originally, they were at 181. I think they came in at 177 and change. Um, some are looking for a little lower than that, but they did move it down a little. Um, you know, If we had a hot, dry August, you could probably move those bushels. You could probably take another <clears throat> you know, two to four bushels off of that if you have a hot, dry August, which would put us more in that low to mid-170s. Once again, Not enough to say we're going to be in trouble. I think they came out with 2.262 billion bushel carryout for the upcoming ending stocks uh, marketing, you know, for the upcoming cycle season. Um, But nonetheless, you know, if you took three or four bushels to the acre off, you're now starting to, you know, tighten it up a little bit here. So at the end of the day, I really feel the corn number really wasn't a big, it really wasn't. Much of a change. I mean, I think corn is down because soybeans was a big, big miss. And uh, we talked about in your show uh, on you know the last program that we did with you that um, you know the real reason to get corn back to six is if we have a major crop problem or a major weather problem for soybeans, and we keep that three to one ratio so that the acres in South America remain balanced. Today's report certainly threw a temporary wrench into. I Soybeans needing to go higher, and so which is its kind of—it's kind of weird. I call it the Ropa Dope market. You kind of got everyone bowled up on this acreage report. They put fifty cents on, and then now they took it back off. Right. <laughs> so, right. Yeah. yeah. But now that we've done all that, Casey, now it still comes down to the weather. And if I'm correct, if our work is correct, that we are going to see a warmer, drier pattern shift later in the month into mid-late July. We will put some other premium back on in the grain market. So we really do think that the grain markets in aggregate are set up for a bullish turning point here late June, uh, uh, late July. It's kind of like the last time we mentioned this um, to you and and to our subscribers was in late May where we had a, a bullish turning point. So we think we could have some more downside. We think the weather looks pretty good. This report certainly gives the bears a reason to keep selling. And maybe we have another week or two of this, but I think we're getting pretty close to pushing on the string and we're ready to turn the corner. So if I'm a physical buyer of feed for corn, if I'm a physical buyer of meal, if I'm a physical buyer of soybeans, I am kind of I want to be getting, getting myself geared up to look to buy grains near the end of the month. I think that's going to be a pretty good place to, to get some upside protection on.
1: Right on. Okay. All right. So let's talk about demand just here a little bit. That's one of the other elephants in the room that you hear people talk about it, but no one's really addressing it because the weather uh, market that we've seen so far has kind of dominated the news. But I guess as you look at demand, demand. Um, from what little I can tell about this and, and my little bit of expertise into this, uh, uh, this realm of, of uh, marketing and stuff, the demand side of this equation is really in a kind of a really a bad way. So I guess, Sean, looking at this, even if we do have a short crop this year, I mean, is it almost right sizing it for demand that we see out there right now?
2: Well, remember, you know, corn is primarily, primarily fed to animals. Mm -hmm. If you don't have the animals to feed, you don't have the demand for corn. And there's really not much you can do about that. Meaning until you produce more cows and more hogs and more chickens and more whatever, uh, you're not going to need more corn feed, right. as an example. We know the cattle at you know animal feeding units are very, very low. We know the hog animal feeding units are low everywhere. We know that China's in no interest in buying feed as they are completing their African swine fever herd liquidation of their hog herd. Um, there's, you know, the feed demand is just not going to be there. It is not going to be there. Now, it doesn't mean that if... Uh, The Chinese get on the other side of their African swine fever later this year and they start rebuilding the herd. They won't need some feed late in the year into 24. I think they will. It doesn't mean that as we start rebuilding the cattle herd that we won't start getting some more animals. But of course, that's a long term 18 month project. Um, And obviously, we are seeing a rally in the hog market, but it's 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 coming off some record losses so i'm not you know so if those higher prices if china were to come in and buy pork from the us and provide a good reason for herd expansion we could see some more animals what i'm getting at is all the demand that i see potentially really coming and i think it's 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 late in the year forward um and 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 progressively gets stronger as the year as 2024 gets further along so you're right we're really in a tough Demand spot right now. We needed a major crop problem for corn to really justify, you know, a, a, a sustainable higher level. We are not going to have a major crop problem. We are going to have a crop that's not top end. We are going to have a crop that's going to be below trend. And all we're trying to do now, Casey, between now and let's say you know September, is fine tune, you know, one seventy two, one seventy five, one seventy four. You know, figuring out where in there, you know, they, they USDA says one seventy seven none of that's going to really create a, a, a corn shortage um, until demand kicks up later in the season. So the way I'm looking at it, sure, if we have a, a warm, dry August and soybeans catch a, 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 a weather worry rally um, or have a major crop problem, corn could certainly go along for the ride for a little while, but there's a limitation to how much corn demand for corn can support higher prices. So the way we're looking at it is, If you you really want to have an idea of what corn prices are going to do, you really need to focus on the soybean market, focus on the soybean price. That's where even though demand was lowered by the USDA today, and even though we know bean meal demand is going to be off, um, the margin of error there with the lower acres is much more narrow. We don't need a major crop problem on soybeans to cause a problem. We even with current weak demand, we just need a crop to be off, you know, five to 8%. If we're off five to 8% on soybeans with the current weak demand and the current acres that we planted, you know, we're gonna really, really, really be short on soybeans in the United States, like extremely short. So where corn is absolutely positively no way fathomable that we can actually get ourselves into trouble, um, given the current supply-demand equation and the fact that pollination is going to go okay, we can in fact get ourselves into a serious soybean problem. That's why I'm saying if you want to, if you want to f- look at what the corn market's going to do, you got to look at what the soybean Soybeans. market's going to do and just and just look at that three to one ratio. So mm-hmm. in order to get back to 550 or $6 corn, s- figuring a three to one ratio, you know, you're kind of looking at a. You kind of need seventeen to twenty dollars beans somewhere in that yeah. range to get yourself in that five and a half six dollar level, and 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 that would be a good place to sell. You know, all things being equal, that would be a pretty good place to sell. Remember, in Brazil, they're harvesting the Safrina second corn crop. One of the big problems in Brazil right now that's surfacing, we've already seen it on soybeans, is they've grown the crop production so rapidly. In the last couple of years, they don't have the infrastructure to store it. Um, we already saw that they had storage deficits in soybeans, and they were dumping, you know, soybeans in the local market there with a record wide basis. The second now is happening in corn. Uh, estimates are that maybe forty to forty-five percent of the corn that they produce. That they're going to harvest, they don't have a place to store it. They're going to store it outside on the ground and open prey. It doesn't rain and, and, and rot. Now that could be a very big bull story, by the way uh, you know, in the fall, if, if they get a lot of rain and it's uncovered and they, and, and all that corn goes away that it's right. supposed to be there, that it's not there. I mean, I remember in 2005 Casey, when we had a storage deficit, I remember walking through Nebraska, your, your lovely state and piles of corn, yeah. Couldn't see the sun. There was possible to on the ground with a tarp over it because we didn't have enough storage because we had so much corn at that time and we, and we hadn't built up the infrastructure. And of course, a lot of that corn, you know, did get spoiled and sprouted and had all kinds of, off, you know, all all that kind of kind of stuff. So something to keep an eye on later in the year. But for right now, you know, that wicked, ugly, nasty low basis in Brazil because they're just trying to give it away to anybody who wants it. You know, that's the situation we have right now with corn. Is we have just too much of it. You know where it can't be handled, and we probably you know and, and and that's that isn't going to go away. You know, immediately. It's going to take time to move that. And then, of course, if if some of that corn, like China's corn, turns out to be uh, too low quality, it's you know it's it's diseased. It's got all kinds of problems. And you know we may find out that you know that they don't have as much corn that's wanted by others. And so we'll just have to wait and see. But the, for, but the way I am envisioning it, um, corn really needs soybeans to have a crop problem in August. Um, or else, you know, we we need to keep corn prices, you know, cheap enough to revitalize that demand to make the economics for the livestock producer look better. So he says, Hey, you know what, this is penciling out My bankers looking at this. And it's, it's penciling out for him. He will, you know, he he's, he sees the wisdom of me expanding my herd again. It's going to take a while to get there. It's going to take a while to get there. But nonetheless, um, now in the wheat markets, interesting, right? Spring wheat in Russia has been very hot and dry. Their crop, vegetative health as of this past week is, you know, very, very, poor, well below normal, and it looks like they're going to have a crop 10 to 15% below what it was, was supposed to be. If you look at the vegetative health in the northern plains and the Canadian prairies, where Russia is just as big a producer as North America is, those are the two big producers of Minneapolis spring wheat, uh, the vegetative health is extremely poor, and hot, dry weather is expected to continue into the end of the month at a very important time the development of yields for spring wheat so it looks to me like if we're talking about a market that is what we call have clear and present danger of an actual shortage developing spring wheat has the elements for that we already know our hard red winter wheat crop the second highest quality wheat was terrible yeah so so the high quality part of the market you know that your higher quality casey wheat your minneapolis spring wheat you know if i'm looking for a, a bright spot for grains a tight spot for grains i think that's a an interesting place to look i think spring wheat could independently outperform even casey wheat um in times past when you've had a differential meaning much tighter spring wheat supplies versus hrw supplies you know we can see spring wheat trade a couple of dollars above case i'm not projecting we're going to trade that kind of a premium but right now we're if we close today where i think we're going to close we're going to be about 55 over on spring wheat versus KC wheat. That's up from 20 over just a week ago. So we're already putting premium on Um, this 50 cent level on this spread is a pretty important resistance area. If we close above that, it wouldn't surprise me if we could trade spring wheat, maybe a dollar, maybe a dollar and a half premium to KC wheat. So there could be a story, not a story, but I mean, there could be a fundamental story for the spring wheat market. And, um, you know, and that could filter into um, a more bullish tone to grains if we get a hot dry weather pattern to come back um, as we get into the latter part of the July. So that's kind of where you know there was hope that this report today would light another fire under grains or under soybeans at least and and it did and it, and it actually put the fire out <laughs> so yes. we're essentially starting over mm-hmm. and um, and weather looks pretty good for the next couple of weeks but 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 having said all of that, you know, um, well, th- where it's darkest is where you get the opportunity to buy, and where it's brightest, you get an opportunity to sell. I still feel late month is going to be an important bullish turning point and a really good opportunity for people on the buy side to consider protecting upside price risks. Because um, I do think that any kind of a warmer, drier pattern for August, you know, would, would in in the least, in the least, would create a significant short covering rally. And a tradable rally that farmers could then sell into, selling into strength instead of selling into weakness, which is what you're supposed to do as a farmer.
1: Yeah, that's usually how that's what they want to have happen anyway, for sure. So
2: that's what I want them to do. I just don't want them to be selling, you know, now like many are. Yeah. You know, you want to sell, sell rallies, sell strength. You know, don't sell into a hole that typically doesn't tend to work out very well.
1: Yep, so, Very true. All right, Sean, good stuff as usual. Folks going to reach out to you and get more information about what you're doing over at Hackett Financial. What's the best way to do that?
2: Our website is Hackett, H-A-C-K-E-T-T, advisors.com. We also have a Twitter page at Faradix11. Plus, we have a LinkedIn page. Time to time, we put on interviews or different uh, comments about different things that go over our weather work and capital flows work and how we make our recommendations so that people can stay in touch with what we're doing and to see if what we're doing might be of value to those watching your show.
1: All right, Sean, appreciate you being in the podcast, man.
2: Thanks, Casey. Always a blast.
1: All right, buddy. We'll catch you next time. I'm Casey Seymour with Moving Iron Podcast. Check me out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Moving Iron LLC. Go to LinkedIn at Moving Iron Podcast and check out the YouTube version of this over on the YouTube channel, which is the Moving Iron Podcast YouTube channel. Go to LinkedIn or go to... Moving Iron LLC for everything Moving Iron related and all the information for the Moving Iron Summit come, coming up here in Nashville, Tennessee, September 11th through the 13th. So if you want to attend that, uh, you should hurry up because it's getting full. So if you want to take advantage of that $50 discount too, send uh, over to the people at Axon, we'll take care of that for you when you sign up. So with that, I'm Casey Seymour. School of and Folks, out. Axon started out of a passion for keeping agriculture moving. Imagine having 100 years of tire and wheel knowledge in your back pocket the next time you sell a piece of ag equipment. To find more or become an Axon dealer, please visit axontire.com. Valley Transportation has been hauling ag and construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years. Call Parker at 800-657-4910 for all your trucking needs. At Valley Transportation, our goal is to help you reach yours. No matter how you buy your ag equipment, whether it's from a dealer, an auction, or a private party, AgDirect can help you finance it. You can even apply online at agdirect.com. Learn more about your financing options at agdirect.com. TractorZoom has access to over $20 billion in heavy equipment sales data. TractorZoom's Iron Comps is the industry's trusted solution for transparent equipment values and auctionable pricing insights. This podcast is brought to you by Anvil AppWorks. The Dealer Connect CRMI app with integrated inventory management is an affordable salesforce based solution for your dealership create connected customer experience and transform how you work.
2: In 21st century Hard work.